Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Good morning. How's everybody doing tonight? All right, so I had them turn the lights up so it feels more like morning. So first of all, thank you for that amazing meditation this morning. That was incredible. Thank you so much. It was put everybody in a great space. So hi, I'm Dr. Michael Bruce. I'm known as the sleep doctor, but I am also the Mind Valley sleep doctor. So what, what does that mean, right? So I'm here for you guys. That's the whole point. Vishen and I got together about two years ago, and he said, Michael, sleep is incredibly important, and you're the guy I want to have talk to my people about it. And so I felt incredibly honored, and together we put together something called the Sleep Quest. I don't know if any of you have had the opportunity to be able to... Oh, so we've got a couple of people here who've sleep quested. That's awesome. Fantastic. And I'm going to tell you a lot about sleep this morning. I'm going to give you a tremendous amount of information. So be ready. It's kind of like going to be like drinking from the fire hose. Don't worry. Also make the slides and things like that available to you so you can really pay attention. So it turns out that there are two specific systems in the brain for sleep, right? One is called your sleep drive. And this is a lot like hunger, right? So I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. I eat something and that hunger begins to dissipate. The same holds true with sleep. Right? So when a cell eats a piece of glucose, something comes out the back end. One of those things is called adenosine. Adenosine works its way through the system and goes through a very specific receptor site in your brain. As adenosine accumulates, you get sleepier and sleepier and sleepier. That's that whole mechanism behind why we sleep and why we want to fall asleep. Now, here's what's interesting. So I'm a little bit of a sleep geek, and I was looking at the molecular structure of adenosine, and what I noticed is that it's very similar to the molecular structure of caffeine. In fact, it's only off by one molecule. So here's what's interesting, is when you drink caffeine, it actually fits into that receptor site and blocks the adenosine. This is the reason why caffeine makes you feel less sleepy. But with caffeine, your brain burns through the caffeine pretty quickly, and then the adenosine comes flooding into the system, and that's when that caffeine crash has a tendency to happen. Have anybody in here experienced that caffeine crash where you drink a little bit of caffeine and then bam, you get clobbered later on in the day? That's where that's coming from. But that's only one system. The second system is called your sleep rhythm. So you ever notice how you kind of get hungry around breakfast time, around lunchtime, and around dinner time? That's your circadian rhythm. We have over 300 circadian rhythms in our system, but sleep circadian rhythm is probably one of the best known. So here's what's interesting about the sleep circadian rhythm is most people, at least in the United States, have a tendency to fall asleep somewhere between 10 and 11 o'clock. So one of the things we know is if your rhythm is on sync and your drive is high, you sleep. But if either one of these is off, that's when you have what we call a sleep disorder, right? Now, I believe that there's an entire another category of sleep that nobody has been addressing, and that's what I call disordered sleep, right? So sleep disorders are apnea, narcolepsy, formal insomnia, things that you might come see a sleep specialist for. But what about for all of the people out there who go into that room in the back of their house, turn off the light, get under the covers, come out maybe five, six, eight hours later, and they don't feel so great? That's disordered sleep. And that's what we're going to talk about. That's what the quest really identifies, and that's what we're going to talk about quite a bit today. So what I thought I'd do is give you a quick lesson in sleep in terms of the biology of sleep and what are the stages and how does this whole thing work. But I promise you it's not going to get too deep, but what it is going to do is it's going to give you a new set of words to use when you're thinking about sleep in general. 
So when we take a look at this one, this is a, what's called a histogram. And so when we look at this, orange represents wake, and then we go from wake to stage one, two, which is light sleep, down into stages three, four, which is what we call deep sleep, back to stages one and two, and then on into REM sleep, which is represented here by this light blue, right? So over here, we can see it as well. We've got the orange, which represents the wake, into light, down into deep, back to light, and into REM. So what's so important about all of this? A couple of different things I want you to notice about this slide that are extremely important. Number one is that we do this very specific dance move, and this takes approximately 90 minutes. So one, what we call sleep cycle, is 90 minutes long. I want you to deposit that in your brain because that number is going to become important in just a second. The other thing we do is we count sleep cycles based on the number of REM periods that a person has. So we know that this person has five REM periods, so they have five cycles. Generally speaking, most people have five. I want you to lock that number into your brain as well. So just for review, how long is a sleep cycle? And how many of them do most normal people have? Fantastic. Mia, this group is very responsive. So other things to look at is this full area in the front is where your deep sleep is front loaded. So for some reason, your brain has decided to put deep sleep in the front and REM sleep seems to be spread out more towards the back half. That's gonna be important as well. So what is deep sleep or stages three, four sleep? This is the wake up and feel great sleep. This is actually your physical restoration, okay? So this is where everything from your blood pressure dropping to your respiration slowing. But to be fair, it's where the largest bolus of growth hormone is emitted. Michael, what's growth hormone? Why do I care about growth hormone? Is it important? If you have any interest in anti-aging, if you have any interest in longevity, if you have any interest in physical repair, you should be interested in growth hormone, okay? Because growth hormone is the thing in your body that does all of that. True cellular repair goes on. But remember, that has a tendency to occur in the first third of the night. Why would that be? We really don't know, but our guess is that our body has to physically restore first because if we have to wake up after two or three hours, we need to be able to get up and do something or be able to do whatever it is we need to do. Now, REM sleep turns out to be one of the more popular stages of sleep that's out there. It stands for rapid eye movement, but this is your mental restoration, right? So physical restoration, stage three, four, what we call deep sleep. REM sleep is your mental restoration. We've now discovered that what you're doing in this stage is moving information from your short-term memory to your long-term memory, right? So for anybody out there who's got memorial deficits, things like, hey, my memory's just not working so well, or I'm reading books and I can't remember what I used to read and things like that, this could have to do with your lack of REM sleep for sure. It's pretty fascinating when you start to look at some of the information, but what we now think is what happens is, is the data comes in through your eyes or through your ears or through your mouth somehow or another, and this data is electric. And it moves along to get to your, basically your storage unit inside your brain, which is kind of like a filing cabinet. What it has to do is then take this piece of information, find the right cabinet, find the right file drawer, and then find the right file to deposit the information. But the problem is, is there's thousands and thousands of pieces of information coming in, right? And so your brain doesn't always get it straight. So if you have this dream, by the way, this is what we think dreams are, is this electrical course of information and this attachment of information to other pieces of information. That's what our brain does, and we manifest that in a dream. So hold on a second, Michael. I had a dream last night where I walked downstairs and my dog was eating a bowl of spaghetti with my second grade teacher. What is going on? Right? 
So in all likelihood, what happened is you may have had Italian that night for dinner, your dog probably jumped on the bed, and your second grader reminded you about your second grade teacher, maybe in the back recesses of your mind, and all that information kind of got stuck together, right? So that's how we think dreaming works, which is in and of itself pretty interesting. But one of the most fascinating aspects of REM sleep is that your muscles get so relaxed, you become paralyzed. Does anybody want to take a guess as to why we become paralyzed during dream sleep? So the answer was so that you don't kill the person in bed next to you. <laughs> that is correct, as a matter of fact. I 100% agree. So it is so that you don't act out your dreams. So it's very funny that you put it that way, because I'm going to tell you a story about a patient that I had where this paralytic mechanism did not work, okay? So I'm from a small area outside Atlanta, Georgia, called Sandy Springs, Georgia. It's a hunting community. And if you're a hunter, you know that if you shoot a doe and you don't kill it, you either have to slit its throat or crack its neck, right? It's the most humane thing to do. This man woke up with his wife's head ready to crack her neck. What's the first question? Come on, what's the first question? Did he kill her, right? Doesn't everybody want to know, did he kill her or not? No, he did not kill her. What's the second question? Did she kill him? That's a good one. <laughs> Are they divorced is usually the second question. She is a very patient woman, let me tell you. Here's what was so fascinating. So this is called REM behavior disorder. It's a well-known disorder. It's rare, but well-known. With one medication, we were able to completely disrupt this behavior. But what was so fascinating is in 35% of cases with REM behavior disorder, it's a precursor for Parkinson's syndrome. And this gentleman was one of those people. And so we were able to get him into neurology literally 10 years before we saw any type of Parkinsonian type of symptomatology, you know, raising its ugly head. So we literally changed the course of his life by understanding his sleep. And I use that as an example for you guys because you've got to look at your own sleep, right? Your sleep will tell you what's going on in your body, whether your body is healthy, whether your body is not. If you've got light, disrupted, crappy sleep, guess what? Something's going on. Right? And you need to think about that. You need to listen to your sleep. And that's one of the reasons that I get up here and I get to do all this kind of fun, interesting stuff. Interestingly, though, in REM sleep, your heart rate actually increases. Believe it or not, you use as much glucose during REM sleep as you do when you're awake. That's how fast your brain is going and what your brain is doing. Somebody asked me one day, they said, they said so if I get really a lot of REM sleep, will I lose weight, Dr. Bruce? Maybe. Believe it or not, REM sleep is the stage of sleep that you lose the most weight in because your brain is actually consuming the most calories. We talked about how dreaming occurs and why it occurs. So let's use some of our information, right? So we know that the average sleep cycle is how long? 90 minutes. We know the average person has how many? Right? So five times 90 is? I didn't tell you there was going to be math this early in the morning, did I? Five times 90 is? 450 minutes divided by 60 would be seven and a half hours. So let me be clear, eight hours is a myth. The math doesn't even work, okay? Everybody's sleep need is individualized, and I'm gonna show you how to figure it out. You take your socially determined wake-up time, you take those seven and a half hours that we were just talking about, you count backwards from when you wake up, and this becomes your new bedtime. Let's be honest, when was the last time somebody told you to go to bed? What were you, like eight? Right? Ten. That was a joke, guys. Come on, work with me. There we go. I got the big laugh in the back. I appreciate it. So let's make the math simple. 
right? If you wake up at 6.30, you subtract seven and a half hours, you go to bed at 11. So I tried this and it failed miserably. I went to bed at 11 and I woke up at 5.30. You guys don't know me very well, I'm a night owl. Okay, the only thing I hate more than mornings are morning people. They're just so damn chipper in the mornings. Like, I'm not that guy, okay? So I certainly wasn't interested in being awake at 5.30 in the frickin' morning. So I went to bed at 11, woke up at 5.30 again, said, all right, I'm gonna go to bed at 12, see what happens. Went to bed at 12, I woke up almost on the nose at 6.30, right? So my sleep cycle turns out to not be 90 minutes, it's like 81 minutes. Michael, how did you figure that out? Guys, I work in a sleep lab. It's not hard for me to figure that stuff out, but you can do it with trackers. There's actually a group here that I was talking to earlier that's got a really interesting sleep tracking device that's gonna be coming out. So there's a lot of things that you can do to learn more about how you can actually affect your sleep. And one of those ways is assessment. Try this experiment at home. You will be shocked at how easy it works. Now, one of the things that I know and that I've been working on for a long time are these things called chronotypes. You might not have heard of the term, but you've actually heard of the concept. Has everybody in here ever heard of somebody being called an early bird or a night owl? Those are chronotypes. Turns out those are genetically predetermined. You can't change your chronotype, but I found a fourth one. So we used to think there were early birds, there were night owls, and that one we called hummingbirds, which were people in the middle. Now, to be fair, I'm a mammal, not a bird, so I decided to change the animals a little bit. Now, to be fair, when we were in this marketing discussion to decide we were going to come up with new animals to represent the different chronotypes, we had to choose very wisely. Nobody wants to be a porcupine. We've discovered this uh, in our early marketing meetings together. So I chose animals that actually have the circadian rhythmicity that we're talking about. So lions turn out to be my early risers, about 15%. This replaces the early birds. And so early morning optimists with medium sleep drive, these are my go-getters, my COOs of a company for sure. They're likely to prioritize health and fitness. They have a tendency to make a plan and stick to it. So you know these people, right? They make a list every morning and they go from step one to step two to step three to step four. They're the ones who woke up at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, right? They're the people I don't really like a lot just because I can't handle it, right? I can't get up that early. But people tell me all the time, oh, I wish I was a lion, Michael because I'd love to get up that early and be able to do all this cool, amazing stuff. Well, here's the only problem with being a lion. Dinner in a movie is out. You've been up since like 4.30 in the morning, right? I mean, there's no way you're gonna make it through a movie. So socially, lions don't do so well, but in most other areas, they actually do pretty well. Bears make up almost 50% of the population, so lots of people are bears. By the way, you can learn what your chronotype is by going on my sleep quest or taking my quiz at chronoquiz.com. Solar sleepers with healthy sleep drives, they are really the glue for society. These are the people that get it done. And these are very extroverted, oftentimes open-minded individuals, very fun, enjoyable group. Um, and most of society, believe it or not, is built around a bear's schedule. So if you take my quiz and find out that you're a bear, being a bear is the best. Okay, why? Because the entire society works on a bear's schedule. Nine to five is a bear's schedule. I'm a wolf, okay? What is a wolf? A wolf is a night owl. I've always been a night owl historically. I'm kind of one of those out-of-the-box thinkers, but a lot of my night owls are my actors, are my musicians, are my artists, my creative types of people. They can be big risk takers, though, I will warn you. We do have a tendency to do that. But if we make a list, we go from step one to step 12 to step 47. 
right? Like we never go in order, but it makes a lot of sense to us for some strange reason. Believe it or not, many of the wolves are socially introverted. I, of course, am not particularly socially introverted, but they are deep, loyal friends. And then there are the dolphins. So the dolphins are my problem children. The dolphins are historically my insomniacs. And that's who I added to the vernacular. So I went from early birds, night owls, and then the middle, and I added the new category of dolphins. These are my people who have difficulty sleeping. So often erratic sleep schedules, short sleep drive, but they are oftentimes very highly intelligent people, but they've just got a little bit of obsessive compulsive disorder. And what it ends up doing is their jobs are never quite done. You know this person, right? They've fixed it and fixed it and fixed it and fixed it, right? And they never stop fixing whatever the project is that they're working on. When of course, everybody around them looks at their project and says, this is amazing. I can't believe you did all of this. They have a tendency to be very fast talking, a lot of fun, but they are more on the anxious side of the realm. So you may have identified with one of these four chronotypes. Now let's put them to use. So we're going to take a look at two major substances that affect sleep in your life. Those would be caffeine and alcohol, right? So let's talk, how many people in here drink coffee? Tea, any caffeinated beverage whatsoever? Is it literally the entire room? Probably, except for maybe one or two folks. So let's talk about it. So caffeine is arguably the most abused substance in the world but let's talk about what happens when you drink coffee in the morning, right? How many people here by a raise of hands, the first substance to pass over their lips in the morning is a caffeinated beverage? Yeah, let me tell you why that's not the best idea, okay? So it turns out in order to exit a state of unconsciousness, you need two hormones. You need adrenaline and cortisol. Both of them raise up pretty significantly to pull you out of sleep. If you compare cortisol and adrenaline to caffeine, it's like comparing cocaine to weak tea, okay? The amount of oomph that it gives you is completely different. For most people where the very first thing they do is drink a cup of coffee, my guess is it's rarely just one, right? Because what happens is the effects of caffeine almost are diminished incredibly based on all the cortisol and adrenaline that's already in your system. So then you end up drinking more and drinking more, and then you get the side effects and things like that. However, if you just waited 90 minutes from the moment you opened your eyes, you're all thinking, huh, no freaking way, right? <laughs> if you just waited 90 minutes, I promise you that what happens is your cortisol and adrenaline begin to naturally drop. Then when you add caffeine there, it actually boosts the cortisol and adrenaline. You get a lot more bang for your buck by drinking a bottle of water first and then waiting that 90 minutes and then drinking that caffeine, all based on these hormonal rhythms. There's also a metabolic rhythm that's important to think about as well, which has to do with how long does caffeine stay in your system, right? Average half-life of caffeine is between six and eight hours. So I'm also recommending that you want to stop caffeine by about 2 p.m. Because what happens is if you stop caffeine at 2 p.m., then it gives you about eight hours till about 10, which remember is kind of the average amount of time when people go to bed. How many people do we have in here? Probably like almost 200 people here this morning, right? So there's at least... 20 people in the room right now, and here's what you're saying. Huh, sleep doctor. He has no idea what he is talking about. I can have a cup of coffee at dinner, and I can fall right to sleep. How many people in here think I'm full of it? Raise your hands. Come on, I know, I, I know you're out there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I, there's always 20. Eight, nine, 10, in this side, 11, 12, 
13, 14, 15. Oh, here we go. 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Look at that. I'm pretty good at predicting these things. It's always 10% of the crowd who thinks I'm completely full of it. So let me tell you why I am right and you are wrong, okay? <laughs> so here's the thing that's so fascinating about caffeine is many people have different caffeine sensitivities. I actually have a patient, if she has three chocolate kisses, she could be up all night. I got another patient that could drink a pot of black coffee and go right to sleep. It turns out that there are different caffeine sensitivities. However, for all of those people that raised your hands, if you do have a caffeinated beverage late in the day, you may be able to fall asleep, but if I put electrodes all over your head and I look at the quality of the sleep that you're getting, I can guarantee you it's not good. Right? So just because you can fall asleep doesn't mean that you're getting the quality sleep. We used to think of sleep only in minutes and hours. Now we need to really start thinking about the depth of our sleep. That's why tracking turns out to, and assessment turns out to be so important. So what I decided to do was create times based on your chronotype of the best times for you to do certain things. So these are your caffeinated times based on your chronotype. So if you're one of my problem children and you're a dolphin, you can see what the best times are for you to drink caffeine. If you're a lion, a bear, or a wolf. Now you'll notice wolves like me, we don't have caffeine after 2 p.m. because we're already awake, right? So what, we, we need caffeine early, we don't need caffeine late. So it becomes very, very different very, very quickly based on your chronotype. So I wanted to give everybody my favorite caffeine hack. I call it the Napa Latte. So if you have not gotten enough sleep and you are dragging it, here's what you do. Go out and get yourself a cup of black drip coffee. Put in three ice cubes merely to cool it down. Slug it, drink the whole thing as quickly as you can. Close your eyes immediately and take a 25-minute nap. What? That's crazy, Dr. Bruce. What are you talking about? I'll tell you what I'm talking about. Remember from my very first slide where I was talking about adenosine and caffeine and how they're so similar to one another? Here's what happens. When you close your eyes and take a nap, your brain starts to burn through some of that adenosine. The caffeine is literally waiting in the wings. When you wake up after 25 minutes, the caffeine hops in, you're good for four hours, guaranteed. Works every time. I've never had it not work for me. To be clear, don't do a Napa latte every day, right? This is for certain times when you didn't get enough sleep, when you're really dragging it and you really want to have something in your back pocket for a little bit of extra energy, this is a great and healthy way to do it. So let's talk about alcohol. There's a really big difference between going to sleep and passing out, <laughs> right? Okay, so if that is the case, we need to think through this a little bit because I like red wine and scotch and beer. I think I've listed all of them now. And so I want to make sure that we can all enjoy our adult beverages, but still get a great night's sleep. So there's a lot of different things that we can think about here. One is looking at our tolerance. So it's really interesting. Our liver, which is a thing that kind of detoxifies all the alcohol, makes this thing called alcohol dehydrogenase, right? It doesn't really kick in until about four o'clock in the afternoon and kind of goes from four till about six or seven. What time is that at the bar? Happy hour. I'm not convinced that the bartenders in the 1800s who discovered happy hour knew about this biological thing that's going on, but I can tell you that they figured out that, wow, people can surely drink a lot between four and six in the afternoon, and that has a lot to do with your rhythm. So if you're out for brunch, on a Sunday morning, and you decide to have a mimosa at 11 o'clock, 
you're probably going to get pretty tipsy whether you like it or not because, again, your body doesn't have that alcohol dehydrogenase in it. Waiting a little bit longer gives you a little bit better opportunity to metabolize through it and not have such a big effect. So what I did was I created a table for strategic drinking. <laughs> so based on your chronotype, I am going to tell you exactly when you should have alcohol. Wait, there's more. There's also hangover hacks that I've added to this slide as well. This appears to be a very popular slide with this crowd. <laughs> I'm not really sure why, but we'll, we'll continue on. So these are the times when you will drink at your best, right? Meaning that you will still enjoy alcohol, you'll still get the nice feelings from it, but it won't be too much for you to be able to handle. To be clear, it's one drink an hour, guys, okay? Don't go crazy. Right? Please be careful, those types of things. One of the things you want to do is you want to remember that alcohol is a diuretic, right? It makes you have to go to the bathroom, and once you break the seal, you're going to be peeing all night long. What you don't want to do is go to bed dehydrated. Most people don't know this. Sleep is a dehydrative event. You lose almost a full liter of water every night while you're sleeping from the humidity in your breath, believe it or not. So what you don't want to do is go to bed dehydrated from drinking too much alcohol, have this dehydrative event called sleep, oh, and then wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? Drink coffee, which is also a diuretic. So it puts your body into a huge state of dehydration and your body doesn't function well when it's dehydrated. So thinking through the, the whole idea, you really want to be careful in what you're doing. And these should be some of the steps that should be able to help you. There's at least two studies to show that coconut water helps with a hangover. I thought that was fascinating, right? I mean, this is great research for me to be able to send out into the universe. So if you have coconut water, just have a half a coconut water before you go to bed, you'll be surprised because it's loaded with magnesium. It turns out that alcohol pulls a lot of magnesium and a lot of vitamin B out of you. That's part of the reason that you have that hangover. Magnesium and vitamin B in the morning could be helpful. Stop drinking approximately three hours before bed. So one hour per alcoholic beverage. So if you have two to three glasses of wine with dinner and you stop dinner at eight, you are good to go by 11 if you've had two to three glasses of water. Very simple, very straightforward. What does good sleep do for you? Literally everything. Everything you do, you do better with a good night's sleep. So there was recent data to show that cancer cells multiply faster the more sleep-deprived you are. Cancer, okay? I'm not fooling around. The Nobel Prize in medicine two years ago was given to circadian researchers. Yay, sleep, right? It's getting out there. We're learning all kinds of amazing, important things about sleep. There's now data to show that if you deliver chemotherapy at a particular time in somebody's 24-hour cycle, you need less chemo and it's more effective. Less poison going into the body, more effective just by administering it at the right time in somebody's circadian cycle. This is real science, guys, and it's really effective, and it's definitely something that you can control. Sleep is a skill set, okay? You can learn how to sleep better, and you can make your sleep better. Absolutely every single person in this room can do it. How many people in here travel? So there's a lot, okay, so I travel constantly, as I'm sure you can imagine, and one of the biggest problems is how do you sleep on a plane, right? So I don't know if you know about this, there's a great website called seatguru.com. You type in your flight number and it brings up a schematic of the fuselage and it tells you red light, uh, yellow light, green light, what the best seats are for sleep on the plane, which is pretty cool. 
I think it's awesome. And it tells you things like, where's the most noise? Where's the most, so it's really pretty interesting. I bring my own sleep kits, especially on international travel, because quite frankly, what they give you isn't that fantastic. So I bring my own eye mask, my own earplugs, and I also bring podcasts and things like that to listen to. And then also I use things called progressive muscle relaxation, guided imagery. So I've got all these things that are available to me on my phone with my sleep kit, and I'm out like a light. Now, to be fair, there's this thing called jet lag, right? So you go from, start one place, you go to another place, but your brain doesn't know that you've actually been in an airplane for the last 18 hours, and all of a sudden you're in a new time zone. What do you do? So we started working with a group and discovered that by using these four components, light, melatonin, caffeine, and napping, you can actually completely obliterate jet lag. So I had a patient who is a Saudi Arabian princess. I know that sounds odd, but when you're in my business, you'd be shocked at who shows up. So here's what we did with her. I want to show you how it worked, and then I'm going to show you what you can do to do it yourself. So you can see the top is Los Angeles, the middle is Germany, the third is Saudi. So that's where she was going, was she was going from Los Angeles to Saudi. So she went to bed at 11 p.m. She then sleeps, 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 then she wakes up, has caffeine and light, goes to bed at the same time. You'll notice now she's waking up an hour earlier. Again, caffeine and light. She goes all the way, and now she takes her first flight with melatonin, right? So she has her melatonin here, she takes her first flight, sleeps for three hours, then she's awake for the remainder of that flight. They touch down in Germany, refuel, then she's awake for the remainder of the flight. She now lands in Saudi, it's 12 midnight, she takes her melatonin and goes to bed. And that's literally how it works. Two days prior to her leaving, we were able to completely disintegrate her jet lag, literally in three days. She was normally experiencing jet lag for seven, eight, nine days. The human body will actually adapt to jet lag by one day per time zone crossed. So it takes a while when you're crossing multiple time zones. So this type of scheduling can be very, very helpful. So as my gift to all of you, and thanks for you attending, this is actually an app that you can download for free if you use the code THESLEEPDOCTOR. I've actually created this thing called TIMESHIFTER. Please download it, check it out. For international travel or domestic travel, you can do whatever you want, but you can log it all in and check it out. And it'll actually tell you exactly what to do with those four components. So lots of people ask me about sleep hacking, right? So can I do something called polyphasic sleep, right? So can I get less sleep at night, take a couple of quick naps during the day, and make it all work? So believe it or not, you can. It's not the healthiest thing in the universe to do, but you can do it. By the way, they've been doing this in Latin America forever, right? Because they have siestas that people have been taking in the middle of the day, and that's kind of these two different phases of sleep, right? We have your core six hours, you take a 20-minute nap. What you've done then is now taken, let's say you had seven hours. By doing this, where you do six hours with a 20-minute nap, you just took 40 minutes off of your total sleep time. Michael, what else can I do? Well, you could even do it further. You could use the two-nap method, go for four and a half hours from 11 p.m. to 3.30 a.m., and then take these 20-minute naps throughout the day. I just took off 110 minutes off of your seven-hour sleep cycle. Oh, but Michael, there's, can I do even further? Yes, you can. You can do a three-hour core and naps at these different times. Now, let me be clear. This is not an advisable thing to do, right? Can you do it? Can the body withstand it? Absolutely. Here's what happens. By the third week, if you have any proclivity for depression, it'll pop in a major depressive episode. 
Now you have two problems on your hands, right? If you have any proclivity for depression, this is not a great idea. Other thing is, this is really lonely. I've had many, many people come to me and say, hey, I wanna, I wanna do this, and what they discover is they're only sleeping from 12.30 to 3.30 in the morning, and there's only so much they can do on the internet. They're like, there's nobody that I care about that's awake at this time. And so we start to find that people think that it's gonna be a great schedule because they're gonna reduce their sleep and get so much done. But the truth of the matter is, is you can't mess with mother nature, right? Get your sleep. Don't do something like this. All it's going to do is wreak havoc across your body and your mind, I guarantee you. So what are five things that everybody can do today to help them sleep better tonight? Let's talk about it. So we already talked a little bit about caffeine. I want you to delay. I know people are not happy about this. Delay your caffeine by 90 minutes in the morning. Drink water instead. Remember, sleep is a dehydrative event. Get 15 minutes of sunlight every morning. So when you wake up in the morning, this is what it, you should do. You should reach over to your bedside table and there should be a, a bottle of room temperature water. You should grab it, start drinking it, and walk over to the window and get some direct sunlight. Do me a favor, put on a robe. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Put on a robe. Do us all a favor. But yes, get 15 minutes of sunlight every morning. Why do you want 15 minutes of sunlight? 15 minutes of sunlight turns off the melatonin faucet in your brain and gets rid of that morning fog almost immediately. So if you wake up in the morning and your head is all blah, get sunlight. If you wake up so early that there's no sun out, go ahead and get artificial light or you can buy a light box. They're commercially available for like 90 bucks on Amazon. I have people who use light boxes every morning to help clear that morning fog and it helps quite a bit. Staying physically active is probably the best way to improve the quality of your sleep. I keep banging on the hydration and then of course stopping caffeine, hopefully by about 2 p.m. Now, Michael, you've told me some stuff to do during the day, but remind me about the things I need to do at night. No problem, happy to do it. Alcohol, we've talked about it a little bit. If you can just limit alcohol three hours before bed, remember, if you have three drinks, give yourself three hours. If you had two drinks, give yourself two hours. Make sure to use one glass of water with every alcoholic beverage. A lot of people like to exercise, which is, again, a great way to improve the quality of your sleep, but if you exercise too close to bed, you actually increase your core body temperature. When you increase your core body temperature, your body can't release melatonin and fall asleep. So you don't want to actually exercise too close to bedtime. So about four hours is probably where you want to be. Most people think that sleep is kind of this on-off switch, right? It doesn't actually work that way. It's really more like slowly pulling your foot off the gas and slowly putting your foot on the brake. There's a process that needs to occur. So for a lot of people, what I have them do is do an hour before bed, just kind of chilling out. So the sound meditation thing that we did this morning, that would be a perfect thing to do right before bed, just to kind of chill you out and relax you and kind of get you there. But whatever it works for you, it could be journaling, it could be reading, it could be whatever. You need to figure out what helps get you there during that hour. So what I do is I chop that hour up into three different 20-minute segments. So 20 minutes for just shit I gotta do, right? 20 minutes for hygiene, and then 20 minutes for some form of meditation, relaxation, prayer, whatever works, again, helps slow you down and get you there. I don't know about you guys, but as I'm falling asleep, I have cured cancer. I have come up with the best business ideas I could ever possibly come up with, and I've gone to extreme detail in thinking about these ideas until four o'clock in the morning, right? And that isn't good for anybody. So I keep a pad by my bed, and I literally, right before I go to bed, I pull out all the ideas out of my head and I just kind of sit on there. To be clear, I haven't cured cancer, 
okay? Like all these ideas that I think are unbelievably fantastic usually are not so great. So don't worry, you're not missing out on some great idea, but if you can get it out of your head by writing it down, it can be super duper helpful. Select a wake up time and stick to it. If you took one thing from my talk today, this is the point to take. Wake up at the same time every day, including the weekends. I know that sucks, okay? I totally get it. But if you wake up at the same time, you keep your circadian rhythm going, and that keeps the entire system functioning really, really well. So again, if you did one thing, if you took one piece of advice, it's wake up at the same time every day, including the weekends. So I'm the only sleep doctor in the universe that says it's okay to sleep with the television on. <gasps> what? Michael, heresy, what are you talking about here? So I'm gonna tell, tell you the story of why I have to tell you that it's okay to sleep with the television on. So when I met my wife, she said to me, Michael, if we ever have a sleepover, I need to let you know that I fall asleep over. I fall asleep with the TV on. I was like, don't worry about that, hon, I'm gonna fix that. How many people in here have ever tried to fix something in their bed partner? Anybody? Anybody been successful? Because I was not even close to successful. I removed the television. She said, you can now leave. I put the television back in. She said, now you can come back. So I was like, okay, I, I'm, a, I'm a Pavlov's dog. I can figure this part out pretty easily. So I decided to study her to figure out why does she sleep with the television on. So she doesn't watch it. She listens to it, right? Out of what I call the corner of her ear. And it's like an old episode of Seinfeld or something like that. But she described to me is she's got what she calls monkey mind. So she can't turn off her brain. How many people in here by raise of hands cannot turn off their brain before bed? It's the number one complaint that I get in my office. So for her, it's the television. I don't have a problem with the TV, even with the blue light, because most people's eyes are closed anyway. What I don't like are devices, right? You got your phone. If you're trying to get your high score on Candy Crush, right, you're not going to bed. You're trying to get your high score on Candy Crush, right? So by just distracting yourself doesn't necessarily have the same effect that you're really looking for. So what I would say is put the laptops, put the tablets, put the phones away. If you have to watch TV, watch TV, read. If you do have light exposure, using blue light blocking glasses is probably gonna be very helpful for you. And then keep it cool. So how many people in here have ever had this experience where you're so warm in bed, it's the middle of the night, but what do you do is you take your foot and you put it out the covers, and instantly, your whole body cools down and you are in great shape. Raise your hands. Okay, so you wanna know why that happens? Because it's always a question that I get. So the reason that happens is you have different skin on the bottom of your foot and it turns out there's no hair so you can actually dissipate heat much easier. I've saved more marriages as a sleep doctor than I ever would have as a marital therapist. Honestly, just by getting people back in bed and kind of being able to handle it all together. And then my final thing that I think you could do is check out my sleep quest. So we spend a tremendous amount of time and energy, and this is really, really cool. So it's a 30-night program, and everybody starts together, and you have this whole cohort of people, so you're not by yourself. And we really did something interesting here. We did this kind of I don't know if you guys, some of you guys might be too young for this. Some of you guys might be closer to my age. There used to be this series of books called Choose Your Own Adventure. Do you guys remember those? Where like at the bottom of the page, it says, turn to page 12 if you want to go to outer space or turn to page 14 if you want to go deep, you know, underwater, right? So we kind of did that with the quest. So what's cool about it is once you identify your chronotype, you'll get personalized specific information just for your chronotype, and then you get led back into the quest. So it's, it's cool because it's a general program, but it's got a lot of specifics and a lot of personalization and things like that that are involved with that. So I would ask you guys to definitely check it out. Guys, thank you all so much.
I appreciate you all. Have a great day. Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.